Since in the last few weeks we've been in pastor confession mode, I thought it might be appropriate for me to join in. You'll remember two weeks ago Aaron shared that he went through a season of depression. And a few weeks before that, Jim shared some of his struggles as well. Well, I thought I would share with you a struggle that I faced in the recent past. This past fall and winter, I was tired. I was worn out. Now, I've been working at Calvary for about seven years, and although I for the most part, I feel that I have the best job in the world. Last fall and winter, I was spiritually tired and worn out. My struggle wasn't emotional. My struggle wasn't physical. My struggle was spiritual. And looking back at it, I see that it came about because I was thinking too much about me. I was thinking about too much about the things that I did or didn't do, the things that I said or didn't say that I thought might please or disappoint God. I bought in and, and I started believing the lies that, that God was concerned, deeply concerned about my performance and that in order to please Him, in order to make Him happy that I had to do something that in order to receive his acceptance and love, I had to perform. And my exhaustion led to discouragement and a sense of being overwhelmed and full of fear. But God is good. And in his providence and Jim's, I was forced to take a study break this past March. And for some of you, a study break might sound exciting. For Jim, a study break is very exciting, but for me, not so much. Sitting in a library for long periods of time, going to class, staying in classes for long periods of time is not my idea of a lot of fun. But for this study break, I decided that I was going to jump in with both feet. So I thought, I'm going to begin my study break with a silent retreat. Yeah. <laughs> a silent retreat. So for three days, beginning on March 10th, I was at the Hermitage in Three Rivers, Michigan. And I drove there on March 10th and I was greeted by this really kind man who, who showed me around the facility uh, and, and showed me where my room was gonna be. And then he says to me, he says, almost in a whisper, here, we offer each other the gift of silence. And I was a little confused. So I said, could you help me with that? Could you tell me what that means? And he said, again, here, we offer each other the gift of silence. Now, being a little slow, <laughs> I responded, does that just mean you don't want me to talk? And he smiled and said, exactly. 
And then he took me to my room and left me to my silence. And it was really quiet, almost disturbingly quiet. No phone, no TV, no device to play music, quiet. So I opened up my Bible and I prayed and I read a few books that at the time I thought were randomly given to me or picked out for me. And there in the quiet of that room, God started to wrap his arms around me. And beginning with that silent retreat and throughout the rest of my study break, throughout the rest of March, God wrapped his arms of grace and love around me. And he reminded me that it's not about anything that I do or don't do. It's not about anything I say or don't say. It's all about him and who he is. And he told me that he loved me. And it was so refreshing. Do you know what it's like to be tired? Do you know what it's like to be worn out? Are you here this morning and you're tired? You're worn out. And I don't mean the kind of tired or worn out that that comes from staying up too late or working a long day of work. Not the kind of tired that comes from running a marathon. The kind of tired, the kind of exhaustion that comes from a deep struggle. The kind of worn out that comes from fighting a battle. Some of you may be tired and worn out because your struggle has been physical. You've been fighting cancer, multiple sclerosis, chronic pain, and you're tired. Maybe your struggle's emotional or mental. There's that person at school that that just won't leave you alone and you're tired. Maybe you have a bad relationship, a relationship that's breaking down and and the struggle has been overwhelming. Maybe somebody you know, maybe you, maybe you've been struggling with sin and you're just exhausted. And you wonder, Does God even care? Does God even love me? Because you feel overwhelmed and discouraged. So, just like what happened to me in March, I want to have happened to you over the next three weeks. I want you to know that God cares, that God loves you, 
that God wants the best for you and that God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience, he wants you to know his grace, his love, and his fellowship. I want you to feel God wrapping his arms around you and saying over and over and over again, my dear child, I love you. So for the next three weeks, together, we are going to look at the last verse in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's found on page 942 in the Bible that the church provides. We are going to be looking at Paul's benediction or blessing to the Corinthian church. It's called the apostolic blessing. And it's not only a blessing to the church in Corinth, it is a blessing to each of you and to me as well. Page 942 in the Bible that the church provides. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Listen as I read. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For the next three weeks, we are going to examine this verse. Now, it may seem like a short verse, but it is packed full of information about who God is and how he feels about each of us and how he wants to bless each of us. So for the next three weeks, we're going to break this verse down. And this week, we are going to look at one of the phrases, one of the descriptive phrases in this verse about God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, Paul, as a writer, as an apostle, loves to bless with grace. He loves to speak of the grace of Jesus. Look at all these references that I pulled where Paul speaks or blesses of grace. He prays to the Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. To the Galatians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters, amen. Earlier in Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. To the Romans, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. To Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Over and over again, Paul blesses with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of this grace as it relates to all of us, and he does it in our text this morning as well. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And when you look at all of these verses and in our text this morning, the first observation I want you to see is that you cannot separate Jesus and grace. Jesus and grace go together. When Paul thinks of Jesus, when Paul writes of Jesus, he thinks of grace. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not experience his grace. You cannot be in fellowship with Jesus and not experience his grace. You cannot be in union with Jesus and not experience his grace. Jesus and grace always go together. Grace is not something additional to Jesus. 
Jesus is grace, and grace is Jesus. They are always linked. Jesus and grace. Grace. It's one of the most well-known words in our Christian vocabulary. We use the word grace a lot, but I think we often have trouble, we have difficulty wrapping our arms around the meaning of the word grace. The word grace is taken from the Greek word, it's translated from the Greek word charis. And the idea of grace, this word charis, comes from an original Greek meaning something that pleases. In secular Greek writings in biblical times, it referred this word to something that pleases, something that brings joy. That's how Plato in his writings described it, something that brings benefit or a favor or a blessing, something that brings joy. And as the word evolved, it came to reference the favor shown upon someone by a ruler. So when a king would give a gift, this word was used. When a king would bestow blessing or favor upon one of his subjects, this word was used. Suppose, for example, you had the opportunity to travel across the Atlantic and stand before Prince William and Princess Kate and they gave you a gift maybe a sword, maybe a plaque of some sort, maybe some garment or piece of special cloth. But this gift, this would be a treasure to you. It would be something you value. This is how in the ancient world this word was used. A gift. A free gift. A gift that requires you to do nothing, expects you to do nothing. In fact, there is nothing you can do to earn the gift because it's free. It's absolutely and totally free. It is a result of the undeserved or unmerited favor of the giver. And for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it's all grace. Everything about our faith, everything about us as followers of Jesus, as those who are united with Christ, everything about us of those who have union with Jesus Christ, everything is grace. Everything is a demonstration of His unmerited favor towards us. Who you are is defined by grace. All of your blessings past, present, and future are defined by grace. Our identity as Christians is in Jesus Christ and is a result of His unmerited favor, His blessing on us and in our lives. Now, this is exciting news. This is really good information. But if you're here this morning, and you're tired or worn out. You may not yet be feeling it. And that's okay, because we're going to dig deeper so that you can feel it. So earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians, on two occasions, Paul takes the opportunity to define and to describe grace. 
And he does this in order that we may understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He does this so that we will know his grace. He does this so that we, as his followers, will be refreshed. So turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's just a couple, few, couple pages back. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The first way that Paul explains, describes, defines grace is with a demonstration of that grace. In chapter 8, we see Paul's deep concern that the Corinthians' fire for those in need is going out. The Corinthian church, the members of the Corinthian church may have been tired, they may have been worn out, they may have been discouraged, so Paul wants to encourage them. He wants to rekindle a love in them that has grown cold. He wants them to be refreshed, so he fans the flame of their love by giving the example of Jesus and his grace. So look what he writes in verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, in Jesus, Paul sees grace. And in this verse, he describes a demonstration of that grace. And he wanted the Corinthian believers to remember, to look back on this grace that Jesus had demonstrated in their lives. And he sees here the first thing out of the gate in this verse. Look at what he writes. He writes, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first of three important phrases. And this phrase is Jesus' giving of himself which is motivated by grace. You see, Paul makes it clear here that this is all about grace, that Jesus' action in giving him of himself was motivated by the grace that he had towards each of us, the favor that he wanted to bestow. Think to yourself, free gift, unmerited favor, blessing from Jesus Christ. So Paul writes to the each one of the Corinthians and to each one of us, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. You know. You know this favor. You know this gift because you've received it in your salvation. Then the second phrase of verse 9 tells us that Jesus' giving was accomplished through self-sacrifice. Look what he writes. You know that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What Paul is describing here is the incarnation. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven. He gave up his position in heaven next to God the Father to live where we live, to walk where we walk, to stand where we stand, to subject himself to our human frailty. He experienced racial hatred, prejudice, and injustice all for you and all for me. A self-sacrificial demonstration of his love, expressing his grace, expressing his favor to you and to me. Paul writes about this in the book of Philippians. Look what he writes in Philippians about this action. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even on the cross. Stop a minute. Think about this. Look at this verse. Being made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbles himself in obedience to death. Grace through self-sacrifice. And there's a reason. There's a point that he did this, and that's the third phrase in the verse. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Through his decision of self-sacrifice, he was rich and he became poor so that in his poverty, we might become rich. That is Jesus giving us his grace. That is Jesus dying on a cross so that my sin and my wickedness is forgiven so that I may have eternal life. How? Just by opening up my heart and receiving the free gift that Jesus offers. I was lost. I was blind. I was dead. I was poor. And there's nothing that I can do that will allow me to stand before a righteous and holy God except for the amazing grace of Jesus. So now because of Jesus' gift, because of his absolutely and totally free gift, because of his favor, because of his blessing, I now can see, I am found, I am alive, and I am rich. Not because of anything I do or say, not because of anything I don't do or don't say, because of Jesus in the free gift of salvation that he offers. I am now rich. And so when we jump back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, and in this benediction, when Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, he's saying to the Corinthians and he's saying to each one of us, remember, the grace of Jesus, that free gift is with you. Remember that free gift of salvation, although it be undeserved, is yours. Why? Because I love you. But that's not all. Jesus does not just provide us his saving grace. We move on to his sustaining grace. The grace, the favor, the blessing that he gives to us day after day, week after week, and month after month so that we can live our lives, so that we are able to exist, so that we're able to go on, so that we're able to thrive. Jesus provides to us his saving grace and his sustaining grace. So if you'll just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to see how Paul understood this personally. Just a page over in the church Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. At this point in the letter, Paul has been explaining himself to his critics in the Corinthian church. 
and you get the sense as you read chapters 11 and 12 that Paul would rather just talk about Jesus, but he's forced here to, to explain and defend himself, and he primarily has to do that for the integrity of the gospel. So Paul, in verse 12, begins listing his accomplishments. He sets forth his resume, and it's an extremely impressive resume. But then in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul begins to talk about his struggle. Paul begins to talk about his problem. Look what he says in verse 7, second half of it. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. So Paul begins to talk about his problem, his struggle, and he refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. And here the idea of a thorn in the flesh is something that causes pain, something that causes difficulty, something that is a problem in your life or creates a struggle for you. And Paul says, I have this thorn, I have this problem, I have this struggle in my life. But it's interesting that nowhere in the text does he explain or does he describe the thorn. He just says, I have a thorn. I have this struggle. Some people think that the struggle was physical. Some people think it was epilepsy. Others think malaria. Some people think that he had continuing eye problems. Some think his thorn was emotional or mental or even spiritual. I think it's a good thing that he doesn't share with us what the thorn is because that allows us to put our struggle in place and hear God speaking to us. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you not to think about what Paul's struggle or problem may or may not have been. As you think about this thorn, I want you to take your problem, your struggle, cancer, heart disease, chronic pain, relationship issues, sin struggles, and put it there in place. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, that's what Paul's talking about. Look at Paul's response to his thorn in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Have you ever pleaded with the Lord to take away your thorn? Have you ever pleaded with the Lord to take away your struggle? And although it doesn't say no in the text, God's answer was no. But look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Who said this? If you have the red letters in your Bible, you know who said this. Jesus said this to Paul. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace will keep 
you. My grace will sustain you. I can almost imagine Jesus and Paul personally speaking and Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient for you. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to imagine Jesus speaking personally and directly to you. These are his red letters to you. No matter what thorn you are experiencing, no matter the struggle, no matter the problem, Jesus is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. So not only does Jesus' grace include saving grace, the free gift of salvation that he offers when we open up our hearts to him and receive him, he offers sustaining grace that is sufficient for you and for me no matter what struggle or no matter what problem or trial we face in our lives. He says, no. My grace sustains every gift, every blessing, every benefit that you have ever received, past or present, is a demonstration of my grace. It is a demonstration of my favor upon you. Every blessing, every gift, every benefit that you will ever receive in the future is a demonstration of my grace, of my blessing, of my favor upon you. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. I came across a list this past week of the graces that Jesus demonstrates to you and to me. Look at this list of graces. All peas, by the way. Jesus provides his pardon, forgiveness of sin, every spot of guilt and failure in our lives. Did you hear that? Every, every spot of guilt and failure is pardoned. It's wiped clean. Peace. He offers his peace, a settled sense of security in our lives. He offers his provision. Every need we have or will ever face is supplied by the riches of his grace. Protection. We're kept under the watchful eye of God. We have his protection. Promises. He offers promise after promise throughout Scripture, and these promises hold true because you are precious to Jesus. Power. We have all the power of heaven and earth available to us in our daily lives. Presence. We have his presence in our lives. Providence. We have his providence, his personal providence over our lives, making sure that all things work out for our good. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power, my purpose, my providence, my presence, my promise, all these peace are a demonstration of the graces that I provide to you. Jesus' grace, the free gift of salvation and the sustaining grace that he provides in our lives over and over and over that is sufficient to cover all of our concerns, all of our struggles, all of our problems. But the danger for us is that we revert to thinking we can do it all on our own. 
the danger is that we think, oh, I'll just take the reins and, and I'll make stuff happen. And, and if I just do this or if I don't do this or if I say this or if I don't say that, then God's going to be pleased with me. Then everything's going to go well. I just need to take control. This past week, I came across a very disconcerting quote from, a, unfortunately, from another preacher. This is what he wrote. God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. The ball is now in your court. I hope not because I am not a very good dribbler. The ball is not in my court. The ball is not in your court. The ball is in Jesus' court. Jesus has the control. Jesus is the one that is moving. Jesus is the one that is active. Jesus is the one that gives you the free gift of salvation. Jesus is the one that gives his grace, his unmerited favor, his blessing in your lives to sustain you. Jesus is the one that gives you his grace that is all sufficient to cover every problem, every concern, every struggle you are going through. It is Jesus who moves and acts through his grace for you, for me, because he loves us. Jesus says to us, my grace is sufficient to you. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century London preacher, was traveling home from work one day and he was overwhelmed. He was tired. He was worn out. And he felt depression coming his way. And this verse popped to his mind. And he began reciting, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And when he got back to his study, he looked up the verse and he began studying, and this is what he said. My grace is sufficient for thee. Why, I said to myself, I should think it is. And I burst out laughing. It seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was as though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And Father Tame said, drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for thee. Or as if a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt, after seven years of plenty, feared lest it should die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse, my granaries are sufficient for thee. Again, I imagined a man away up yonder on the mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere, but the earth cries, breathe away, O man, and fill thy lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. That is the grace of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a little fish in the river, you will not go thirsty because the river will not run dry. If you are a mouse in the granaries of Egypt after years of plenty, you will not starve because there is sufficient food for you. And if you are on the top of a mountain thinking you are going to exhaust all the oxygen that is there, think again because the oxygen is there for you because Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you feel that down deep inside? Do you know what Spurgeon is talking about? So now we are going to do something very different. And you are going to help me with the sermon. 
in this point of application. And in just a minute, I am going to ask you to speak. And I am going to ask you to say one word, two words, five words, not 20 words. And popcorn style, I want you to explain, I want you to shout the grace that Jesus has demonstrated in your life. And we are going to do this for two reasons. We are going to do this because by speaking, you are going to give praise to God for the grace that he has demonstrated in your life. And we are also going to do it because you will encourage yourself and you will encourage those around you as they hear how God has demonstrated grace in the lives of us here at Calvary Church. So we're not going to take turns. We're not worried about the person next to us. You are going to speak one word, two words, five words to Jesus, not to me, and now you can start, start shouting, speaking, whispering. I don't care how loud. Just start. Keep going. Don't look at me. Look at the cross. Because it's Jesus' grace. Let's go. Come on. Balcony? No. Thank you. Do you hear? It's all grace. It's all Jesus' grace. It's his blessing. It's his favor shown upon you, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you didn't do, not because of anything you said or didn't say. It's because he loves you. In Psalm 56, David's running from his enemies and he cries out, God is with me. That's grace. In Psalm 32, the psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's grace. In Romans 8, Paul writes, If God is for me, who can be against me? That's grace. In John 10, Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and you may have life to the full. That's grace. In John 1.16, when John describes Jesus, he says, from the fullness of his grace, we receive blessing after blessing. From the fullness of his grace, we receive grace after grace. From the fullness of his grace, we receive his favor after his favor. Amen. Amen. Jesus is grace. And grace is Jesus. And it's all for you. And he just wants to wrap his arms around you and tell you that he loves you. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Jesus, we thank you that you loved each one of us so much that you demonstrated your grace for us 
that while we were yet sinners, you stepped out of the heavenly realm to provide the free gift of salvation, absolutely and totally free. And Jesus, we also thank you that your grace is not just limited to our salvation, but that it is provided daily in our lives and it sustains us and it is sufficient to meet all of our concerns and needs. Jesus, I pray that you would help us know your grace and as a result, help us to be people that are full of your peace and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.